0: Ben, thank you for uh, taking uh, this interview. No problem. Thank you very much for having me. And sorry for the short announcement that we're going to do it uh, live. I mean,
1: to be honest, 41 minutes before we're due to go live is plenty of time, that's
0: fine. So I don't know how it will go. It's Mm -hmm. a first-time experiment for me as well. And uh, I know you're a guy who's willing to push himself, uh, as probably most of the time I also try to do myself. And I thought that you will be the... person who's going to fit this experiment together. Cool. I'm happy to be a guinea pig. Okay. Awesome. (laughs) Uh, Okay. So first for people who connect. uh, Cheers. (laughs) Cheers. <laughs> Thank you very much. For connecting, for tuning in. And let's start with uh, the background. So can sure. you give like a bit of background of your story and how, how did you, before coming to China, who was Ben? Okay, sure. Baldieri.
1: So I graduated, at Salt university, Salt Lake graduation, um, just prior to. I was always an active kid. Um, spent a huge amount of time playing sport. I was fortunate enough to ski. Got some work experience when I was younger, working in an investment bank. My dad was working for JP Morgan at the time, so I was fortunate enough to to spend some time on the technology side with them. Mm -hmm. Um, Thought that I wanted to go into business from that, and then had like all of my all of my university applications and everything lined up prior to doing a gap year Mm -hmm. went away on a gap year went away on a ski season so did the whole cliched kind of i'm going to go and do a ski season then i'm going to go away traveling before university and then but then two and a half weeks into the ski season i ended up breaking my collarbone in quite a severe crash which then took Excuse me home. Me, what did you broke exactly? Broke my collarbone, so I've got a nice big bit oh, of metal wow. in my shoulder. <laughs> the, sco- in the back scars it, are exactly. Right. Exactly. So one of one of many, um, which led me to coming home, which led me to reevaluating what I was going to do at university. So I then ended up switching from business to biology. I went to Loughborough University um, and studied human biology, and I graduated in two thousand and thirteen. Did the whole kind of moving to London thing in the UK because right. obviously the the most logical thing for me to do with my biology degree was to completely abandon all of the subject matter and mm-hmm. move from biology into IT consultancy because obviously there's a, a clear link between the human body and IT consultancy and virtual environment management okay <laughs> <laughs> Ob- mm, if you squint maybe there's a link there um, so did a year working in IT consultancy for uh, my boss, who was just. seeking to grow he'd just taken on a graduate i was looking for a role i'm a fast learner so it kind of fit for everybody i then studied for some professional qualifications um, and passed a uk financial regulation and derivatives exam Mm -hmm. with the chartered institute of securities investments and secured a job working as a junior broker come desk assistant at uh, an oil brokerage so a crude oil brokerage. So biology, IT consultancy, commodities broking. This is the journey mm-hmm. so far.
0: Right. So during this journey, mm. who was like the person, or if there was uh, someone who was mentoring you, or mm. was trying to push you through a path, or was like self trying to this was yourself? this was
1: self discovery. Really, this was off the back of finishing university, and as many students will attest, to I'm sure, being dead broke. Like I'm. <laughs> I finished finished uni it's been a great experience but I'm not in a great position financially at the moment at that time one of my primary drivers was money so that's why commodities broking and the oil industry kind of appealed because it's renowned for being a place where you can earn quite a good living in a relatively short space of time so I was fortunate enough to land a position um, at PVM as Money at the time was something that I thought was my primary driver, that's what drew me to being in that role but then it very quickly became apparent that I wasn't anywhere near as motivated by money as I thought I was and I spent 13 months in an environment that for me it was my personal idea of hell really, it was Mm -hmm. 13 hour days. If it was a good day, so you'd be in the office at half past six in the morning, you might end up leaving at like half past eight, half past seven, half past eight in the evening. Then you may end up being expected to go out entertaining clients, which is fantastic if what like you like to do after you finish work is to go out and drink. But right. that's not something that I've ever really been about. So trying to manage um, my personal expectations of myself in terms of what I like to do from a sports standpoint with a 13, 14 hour day job where you're then getting at home and you're getting like maybe three hours sleep and then you do it all over again ad infinitum forever. That didn't appeal. So after 13 months in the job, I elected to leave and I elected to leave London and I elected to pursue a childhood dream, which was to join the military. So I yeah, and it's one of those other childhood dreams. Um, I applied to the Royal Marines as an officer, and um, over the course of two thousand and sixteen, I was fortunate enough to make it all the way through the training, pro- all the way through the selection process. Sorry, and I was selected as one man of forty-eight from a pool of maybe two and a half thousand eligible applicants mm-hmm. to begin training as a Royal Marines officer. <coughs> so. I began training near enough actually three years ago to the day. Um, wow. As a offer on September the fifth, two thousand and sixteen, and I became three zero two six one three seven seven second lieutenant area of RMYO sixteen. Um,
0: this is the identification number as. Uh, yeah, that was that was my ID number. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I <laughs> still, still remember. Still <laughs> remember <laughs> yeah, I can still
1: remember. If I mean, if I wasn't sat down, I'd be saluting you at the moment as well. <laughs> um, but there. The way that the armed forces works in the UK from a mental health standpoint is if you have anything that is kind of identifiably wrong with you per se such that if you've ever gone to seek help um, because you may be struggling with like anxiety or depression or something like that that will then go on your permanent medical record which is then handled by a third party recruitment company called Capita and if you have anything that may be seen as a mental deficiency for lack of a better word then that will be a black mark against you and you will not be able to apply it's there are so many people applying for it it's not worth taking the risk on someone who may or may not be mentally healthy in that environment so I had over the course of living in London and then issues that I'd been dealing with since I was a young kid prior to but never known how to articulate that I was struggling with um, I was dealing with some Pretty severe depression, some pretty severe anxiety when I started training, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden you end up in an environment where the pressure is like, pff, like up here Brilliant. somewhere, exactly. Mounting it's pressure. I'm hugely grateful for this experience, but as an experience, it was something that was so hard that it redefined what I think of as hard. Mm-hmm. So prior to the experience, you think, oh, that was really challenging. And then after the experience, it was like, yeah, it was kind of neither here nor there, it was just because it was that difficult. And then I ended up picking up an injury, maybe eight weeks, nine weeks or so into training, where I'd torn something in my hip and then my knee was giving me issues mm-hmm. and then, that means that you end up dropping out of the training process with everybody else because it's right. moving at such a fast rate. Trying to keep up from a from a physical standpoint and from an academic standpoint because it's not just the physical side they're seeking to develop. They're seeking to develop your your leadership capabilities as well. Um, you fall further and further behind, and then this was coupled with the fact that I was struggling personally quite severely at the time too. Um, I ended up in a position where it's like right, I'm I'm in a I'm I'm injured now. If I stay, is it going to get any worse? Which means that I will be potentially kicked out of the military 100%. Mm-hmm. Do I leave and go for a different branch?
0: So, do I transfer from the Marines to the Army or the Marines to the Navy? So as long as you get injured in one of those, mm-hmm. uh, those institutions, such as mm-hmm. uh, being a soldier yeah. and uh, operating for the mm-hmm. government and so on, so a military institution, say. Yeah. Right? and as long as physically you're not able to perform Mm -hmm. at your best and your highest, Mm -hmm. either physically and Mm -hmm. uh, mentally, Mm -hmm. then you're discarded.
1: It's not so much that you're discarded, it's just there are some injuries, if you have them, that end up being a risk that is too big to mitigate. So, for example, a big one is your cruciate ligaments in your knee. You can have your knees rebuilt, like you can have cadaver ligaments they can take ligaments out of like a corpse literally a corpse and then put them in your knee and then they can rebuild them or they can take bits of your hamstring out and then it will be functional but the issue is it won't be functional enough for the physical rigors of military deployment for example so you end up being too big a risk Mm -hmm. Um, so if you do that in training then that means you're barred from the from the from the services from the forces and i was Worried perhaps rightly or wrongly about whether or not physically my body was going to be able to do with it Coupled with the fact that I knew that I was struggling and had I made it through training without injury I was going to be responsible for the welfare of 30 plus guys initially that would have been like my first Mm -hmm. assignment would have been 30 people and I have to look after them everything so their training their development mentoring them providing leadership where it's required, going on operations with them being deployed, when I wasn't able to potentially look after myself. I mean,
0: have, you, have you been deployed in? No,
1: no, so I went out in basic. I was like 16 weeks into basic training. So okay,
0: you touched many mm-hmm. uh, points that mm-hmm. I'd like to come back afterwards, uh, later on in mm-hmm. the discussion. Uh, what, what I want to go is from mm-hmm. a special perspective. Mm-hmm. What led you to leave London, uh, UK and move here to China? Mm -hmm. What was the thing that pushed you to do
1: this my One of my biggest drivers has always been challenge of some sort. I like being told that I cannot do something because Mm -hmm. I view that as fuel. Like, I like doing things that are objectively difficult to do. So, first example, like transitioning from biology into IT consultancy. There is absolutely no link between the two there at all. But I like the challenge. I like putting myself in a situation where I have to learn. Mm-hmm. Same thing for transitioning from IT into commodities. Commodities is a very high-stress environment. Getting into that industry is also incredibly difficult. I managed to do that because, again, lots of people said that I wasn't able to do it. It's like, okay, I'm going to find a way in. Same with the Marines. Marines is revered as being one of the most difficult... Right branches of the british military to get into let alone getting in as an officer i managed
0: to do that as well
1: <laughs> having left the marines and being in a position is like well i've done what i think of as like the hardest possible thing that i could do in the uk what's next china looks difficult <laughs> <laughs> it looks like there's a place. it looks like a place where there's a great deal of opportunity
0: how do you pick your challenges if i may ask you and uh, how do you pick like if you have like
1: a dartboard and then you just kind of throw things at them in the dark then it. no, it's it's size of challenge and historically it's been ego as well yeah. like i like i i have liked and to a certain extent i still do like i like pushing myself to do things that make me feel good about myself Does that make sense mm-hmm. um a feel of reward yourself exactly 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 you have a perception of yourself in your head and i like doing things i like to try and do things that impress that perception of myself now i'm not always successful and i've struggled with failure in the past but more recently off the back of the experience with the marines um, I've become a lot more comfortable with failure kind of being a part of that process. Because I think like, if you're not pushing yourself to an extent whereby you're impressing yourself with what you're achieving, then are you really pushing yourself as much as you could be?
0: So, so h- how do you cope with failure and how much is that a prerequisite to success and these challenges that you had yourself?
1: I think failure is an inevitable part of success. I think you cannot have one without the other because if you're, if you're doing something or you're seeking to do something whereby there are rewards for succeeding in what you're doing, then rewards are never given to you. Rewards are something that have to be earned. And if there's something that has to be earned, that means you have to work for them. And if you have to work for something, that means you might not be able to do it. So failure in that regard, it's, it's a stepping stone. And I think the issue is a lot of people don't view it as a stepping stone, they view it as a brick wall. So, okay, I failed at something, that means I can't go that way anymore. It's like, well, that may be the case. But it may also just be serving as a way to redirect yourself. It's like, yeah, maybe you're coming at this from the wrong angle. Maybe if you look at the experience that you had when you failed, take some value from it because there's always some value there some learning there's always exactly there's always some learning point that you can have in an experience of failure take that learning experience and then apply it to a new goal and what i what i have struggled with and what i still struggle with sometimes is again working back to the marines the marines was the goal i didn't plan for afterwards and i think it's always kind of having a plan for afterwards like Putting all of your eggs in one basket and then not having a plan for if it doesn't work, that can be incredibly disheartening. So Mm -hmm. it's not so much a case of giving yourself options because then if you give yourself a way out, then maybe you're not going to try as hard as you could do with Mm -hmm. something. But more having kind of insurance policies in place (laughs) such that if this doesn't work in the way that I'm trying it, in and it fails I'm still going to be able to do it but from a slightly different direction I'm still going to be able to achieve what I want to but I might just have to come at it from a slightly different angle
0: and now a word from our sponsor
1: my name is Emmanuel Nama and I'm the CMO of EduGo many entrepreneurs and founders know how to introduce themselves their business in English however they have a hard time doing that in Mandarin at EduGo, we believe that if you speak to a man in his language, many doors and opportunities may open up for you. That's why we created the 15 Days Challenge, where you first define what you want to learn, why you want to learn it, and we will show you how you're going to do it. With 15-minute online lessons with an EduGo teachers per day and a 30-minute review of that content, you will learn Chinese faster. If you want to pitch your startup in Chinese, follow the link in the show notes and join the challenge
0: can you talk more about uh, what you're doing with shanghai Mm -hmm. and uh, sure
1: so a little bit of a background about motivate Um, motivate is a personal development group Um, we're a group of individuals who are focused on improving ourselves, and it's it's kind of a bit of a buzzword at the moment like self-improvement and all that sort of thing but it's an incredibly important thing to do. Like, as soon as you stop learning, you stagnate. Then opportunities will move around you, and you'll end up wondering why they pass you by. That's where Motivate comes in, because we're seeking to provide a platform for individuals such as yourself to develop skills that they may not otherwise have the opportunity to develop in their day to day. So we do that by offering different workshops from various different facilitators. So, for example, Fion. Fion's workshop was on meditation meditation isn't something that you would necessarily come across in your day-to-day life as the COO of an AI-based learning company. Yeah. It's, maybe there's not a huge I amount I of cross I have that. to
0: say that workshop was pivotal for me to go yeah. deeper into, into take the, the learning mm-hmm. of uh, different aspects of meditation mm-hmm. and uh, embed them in my morning routine, yeah. for instance. It was sure. really, really uh, helpful for mm-hmm. me, I would say. And since then, I'm like on daily basis, exactly. 20 minutes, yeah. 15 minutes. So that's
1: what we're seeking to do. We're seeking to provide experiences and opportunities to connect with individuals such as Fion or other business coaches. We've got um, a guy called Ben Ivey who's coming soon, Adrian Carhill who is one of the guys who founded it. He's another business coach as well, providing opportunities for individuals such as yourself to connect with these people and take value from what they are providing. And then being able to apply it in a way that is useful to you so for example meditation in your morning routine
0: that's what we're trying to do we're trying
1: to provide those nuggets of it, nuggets of value which can then be applied
0: right <coughs> so um obviously that's why we met and mm. my question that i want to ask you sure. was that starting point that led you you yourself start the the podcast mm-hmm. rolling forward yes. where you explore the relation and the link between mental health and uh, sports, mm-hmm. and because when someone thinks about sports, they think about physical health mm-hmm. and not much uh, of mental health. Mm-hmm. And can you talk more yeah. about that link and sure. what you try to achieve? So, in of the learnings. I think
1: part of the part of the impetus for starting that podcast came from motivate from being in a position where. As a facilitator I'm able to have a real impact on individuals who come to these workshops and I'm able to kind of I'm able as cliche as it sounds I'm able to help them in a really useful way but I am I'm able to help them in a really useful way and it was a case of okay I found that when I've struggled with my mental health one of the best things that I can do is talk about it but one of the most difficult things to do with mental health is to talk about it so how can I most effectively provides the largest amount of value to the largest amount of people in this space. Mm-hmm. And that is by broadening the dialogue. Because if you broaden the dialogue in regard to things like anxiety and depression and so on and so forth, then that helps remove some of the stigma. And if you can remove just a little bit of stigma for one person, and that removal of stigma helps them open up a little bit, which means that they may end up having a conversation with someone which could be transformative to them, may give them a different perspective on things, then that's, obviously that's huge. So a podcast seems one of the best ways to do that. But the name rolling forward, that, that came from um, a newfound obsession that I've developed over the course of this year being in Shanghai, and that is jiu-jitsu. Um, jiu-jitsu is, it has such a huge impact on your day-to-day,
0: from what? perspective? Just from an,
1: it's it's weird. It's like it's it's a real way of applying a meditative technique, but with other things going on as well. So, for example, it the whole thing is quite ritualized. Like you you're wearing a gi. You're like everyone lines up at the front. You all bow to the, the professor. The presses the black belt. And then you take a class, and then you're like, there's so much respect for you and your your teammates because it's it's a sport of individuals, but you are all part of a team. But the thing that I found the most interesting was, again, going back to meditation. Meditation is when you're truly in the present moment, or mindfulness meditation is at least. When you're truly in the present moment, you're dialed into whatever stimulus you're receiving, you're not thinking about anything else, you're truly focused on what you're doing. You're, you could be in flow state, for example. Mm-hmm. Jiu Jitsu is the easiest way to get into that state without really having to try that I've found because it's almost impossible to think about whether you're going to be able to pay a bill or whether you're going to be able to pitch to a client or whether you're going to win this sale or secure this deal when you've got someone else who is actively trying to choke you with your own clothes Mm -hmm. it's almost impossible to focus on anything else because the only thing that you're trying to do then is survive
0: so it's like you you enter in a survival mode exactly and you're totally present exactly you're
1: totally present but then you've also got the the fact that you're physically in contact with people as well which from a biochemical standpoint means you're getting a a oxytocin dump and a serotonin dump because it's like you're hugging each other effectively you might be trying to kill each other but you're also hugging each other but then that's coupled with the exercise which is giving you um an endorphin rush as well you've got the adrenaline because you were in combat So you've got this weird kind of synergistic effect where you're truly focused on what you're doing, your body is flooded with chemicals that are guaranteed to make you feel good, and you're sharing in an experience with other people. And shared hardship is a really good way to build bonds. And I always found that I felt amazing after training, like disproportionately so. Considering what I've just done, why do I feel so good? So the idea for the podcast came off that experience. I talked with a couple of my coaches. They found something similar. So I've also participated in other sorts of sport, like I've run, I've lifted, I've done CrossFit, and different people in different walks of life have different sports that are their kind of go-to as a coping mechanism. So what I'm seeking to do with the podcast is, one, explore the link between whatever sport someone is doing and how they use it as a mechanism of kind of grounding themselves and managing their own mental health struggles. Two exploring those mental health struggles because everyone's experience is different and I think the experience of struggling is far more common than people realize and then three is providing some sort of like actionable points. like if someone is struggling, what could they do? What is the one thing that they could do today that would give them say a 10x improvement or in how they how they're feeling?
0: So uh, obviously I want to go back mm. to some points that you touched uh, at the beginning of mm-hmm. uh, this interview which is, uh, mental health depression anxiety all those elements yeah <coughs> so for, first step is you obviously have to acknowledge a knowledge that mm-hmm. you are in that state where you don't know what's happening to you mm-hmm. and it's not something physical it's more mm-hmm. mental I, in your case what what if you understood what was that triggered that to you and how do you self-evaluate and analyze yourself and say, maybe I should talk about this problem. Okay,
1: so I think the first time that I had like a really big, kind I don't know, for lack of a better word, crash, was um, immediately after I graduated from university. And my mum who was ill, I think I just split up with a long-term girlfriend, I just moved home, I was struggling to find a job. I'd been dealing with some anxiety prior to graduation that was starting to have an impact on, <coughs> on my kind of willingness to engage in situations that prior to I would have no problem with. I'm quite extroverted, but I was finding myself becoming more and more insular. And it, it got to the stage where I think it was like the first day of November, I've got a good memory for these things, the first day of November in 2013, and I remember sitting in the study, and it was like 11 o'clock in the morning, and I was just crying. Like, it was just tears running down my face, and my brother came in, and my brother's four years younger than me. Um, How old was I at the time? He was like 17 or something like that. He said, what's wrong? He's like, I have absolutely no idea. (laughs) And that was kind of a trigger point. It's like, I have nothing objectively to be
0: sad about. Do you recall the conversation that you had with your brother at that time? I
1: think it was... it wasn't really so much a conversation, it was more just kind of a tacit realization. There was more than, it was more than I was just sad. Like I didn't have anything, any reason to be sad on an objective basis. Like I just graduated, I was in a secure a secure home, I had a job, I was relatively fulfilled in that job. There was lots of other stuff kind of going for me and yet everything was just kind of gray if that makes sense. So like all of the color was kind of drained out of everything. Like the sadness was kind of like not great. The happiness wasn't great either. So you're just kind of going through life right. as this sort of PH7 neutral, uninteresting experience. And whatever it was, I can't remember the exact trigger, but being in the study then, and then my brother came in he's like, Jesus Christ, like, what's wrong? And he's like, I have absolutely no idea because no one had actually asked me that question. Like what's wrong? And in having not having had that question asked to me.
0: And it also depends who is the person who is asking that question. Exactly. I, I recognize some of those scars mm-hmm. uh, ending the university mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. finishing your... In my case, was finishing my master degree yeah. and my bachelor degree. <laughs> also, at the end, it was like the same peak of anxieties mm-hmm. and worries and the world was like crashing. Yeah. And I was like, what's next? Mm-hmm. Uh, what am I going to do? And the sense of... a a lack of direction yes and uh, many people were like I don't want to talk with nobody Mm -hmm. people like asking uh, what's wrong and that question depends also from which direction or Mm -hmm. which person asks you Mm -hmm. and you're more willing to open with some people Less willing, yeah, exactly. People.
1: So, like, if you if like an acquaintance asks you, for example, oh, what's wrong, That you can just kind of put up a wall, you don't have to engage <coughs> with that person, right? Because you don't know them particularly well, they don't know you particularly well, so it's quite easy to just kind of put on a mask, as it were, say, Oh, no, I'm fine, there's nothing up. But then, like, when a family member asks it and they just kind of cut through, just straight through that facade, they know that something is up. It's like, What's up? It's like, I have no idea what is going on with my head at the moment
0: you cannot explain yourself exactly exactly that you're you're struggling to to, to explain to other people exactly So i think that's one of the uh like you have this internal struggle that Mm -hmm. you don't cannot exhibit and make other people understand exactly and, uh, and then
1: you have that perception of yourself as well like for example i just finished working as a doorman as a bouncer for two and a half years at university so you have this kind of image of yourself and at the time i had like a dodgy mohawk that i'd like stuck duct tape down my head and shaved it myself and i was working as a doorman i was about 95 kilos so i was a big guy i looked like an intimidating guy i made my money by intimidating people and throwing them out and then all of a sudden i'm sat in the study kind of crying myself to sleep as it were. like what is going on right. having that perception of yourself kind of shattered as well it's like what am i where do i go from here
0: so uh, obviously you were in a position mm-hmm. and a way to cope or to decrease this anxiety mm-hmm. was a sport yes can you dig more into that yeah, for sure. what kind of would would say safety or so, put you a, a new path
1: yeah so i i trained i lifted all the way through university because it was a way of dealing with kind of the, the stress of being a university like you've got a deadline or something and you've done what all students do and you've left it to the last minute <laughs> then okay how am I gonna how am I gonna manage this okay I'm gonna blow off some steam we go for a run or go and do something like that and then I'll be able to more focus more effectively <clears throat> um, having admitted that I had a problem and then I was going through some CBT at the time as well so cognitive behavioral therapy where they kind of analyze your self-talk the way that you talk to yourself and then help you rewire as it were, like deal with the perceptions that you have of yourself in a more constructive way. Um, Sport was still kind of a linchpin uh, and because I found that it was a way of, again, it was a bit of a hack in terms of if I'm feeling particularly bad, if you go for a run, you go for like a hard run, go and run some hills or go and do some sprints or something like that, your body is gonna produce chemicals which are going to make you feel good like mm-hmm. if you can feel absolutely terrible go and sprint up a hill <laughs> it's you're not going to feel great, you're, you're not going to feel great when you get to the top but once that kind of initial <laughs> has settled down the changes that are going to have taken place in your brain are going to put you in a much much better state right. like going for a run in the morning when you when you're suffering from anxiety or going for a run in the evening if you like if you find that your mind is racing or <laughs> just going for a run like whatever i It doesn't have to be running it could be lifting it could be crossfit it could be cycling it could be whatever but putting yourself in a physically demanding state is a way of kind of hitting hard reset button so whatever mental spiral you find yourself in doing some sort of exercise at least for me will kick me out of that state is
0: it more like outdoor or is it outdoor or indoor whatever whatever
1: just put yourself in a position where you are physically challenged get your heart rate up and then you will feel better afterwards it, sometimes the most difficult thing though is to get yourself into that position like to actually physically go and do it because when you're feeling particularly bad like you don't want to do anything i didn't i didn't want to get out of bed but Forcing yourself to do it. Sometimes it really is forcing yourself, forcing yourself to do it, forcing yourself to get active, to go and do something. Even if it's going for a walk, it will have such a massive impact on the way that you
0: feel. Like right. cannot be overstated. So <clears throat> obviously, um, in order to let's say to cope with mm-hmm. this anxiety, stress after some learning and mm-hmm. testing and doing mm-hmm. different stuff you put in place some, uh, you mm-hmm. change your behavior yep. to some degree, and you put in place some mechanism or some structure or yep. some systems. What what were some of those systems and structures that you said, okay, I'm gonna do this in order to achieve this and o- overcome or to not fall back into mm-hmm. uh, those kind of so,
1: things? So, this is gonna sound very cliche, but a solid morning routine is <laughs> key. Um, I found that I am, I'm a morning person. I've always been a morning person. Um, getting up, first thing I do is go and do some sort of exercise. It changes my perspective for everything else that happens throughout the course of the day. <coughs> so if you get up and you go for a run, you go to the gym or something, you have like a good workout, and then the rest of your day is absolutely terrible, you can finish the day with a win. Say, well, it was a terrible day, but. I had a good workout this morning, or I went for a run, or I did something like that, which is a win for you. You can start your day with a win. Mm -hmm. And if everything else is lost, it doesn't matter. You've still got that one win on the board.
0: (laughs) Or make your bed. Exactly, (laughs) make your bed. yeah.
1: (laughs) But it's that that sort of thing, like starting your day with a win. So for me, going for a run, that reset whatever biology was going on in my head, it may get worse over the course of the day, but, being able to kind of come at whatever challenges i had with the enhanced perspective that some form of physical exercise first thing in the morning gave me made me better able to deal with the struggles that i was having so it could be faulty thinking patterns like ending up in a downward spiral i was more effectively able to identify the trigger for that spiral Mm -hmm. and then kind of kick myself out of it before i can end up at the bottom and then wanting to go back to bed and then not see anyone for like a week um, and then that's kind of that's really been the basis of everything that's happened since I found that if if I can't train first thing in the morning for example now work means that I don't have time in the morning mm-hmm. I, I could go for a run but then some days you look outside and the air is not exactly something you want to be running through <laughs> exactly it's like you know what that slate grey <coughs> building that's only 5 metres away I don't really want to be running through that I find that Even because I've done it for such a long time, I'm still able to identify a trigger that's going to put me into a downward spiral. I can hold off on that or I can go and do something else to kind of distract it. So exercise started off as a distraction, then it became a bit of a magnifying glass. So you can figure out what you're worried about because it's the thing that you'll still keep worrying about when you're trying to do something where you don't have any brain power to focus on anything else. Just being consistent with it—that's the biggest thing.
0: Right. So, talking about consistency Mm -hmm. and uh, challenges, Mm -hmm. you're doing a challenge right now.
1: Mm -hmm. I am indeed. Yep. It's been a—it's been a huge one. yeah It's it's
0: called uh, the 15 days Mandarin language challenge. 15 days
1: Mandarin language challenge. Indeed. Yeah.
0: How's it going with that?
1: It's good. Um, So, the if you can also talk, what is this challenge? Yes. So the, the 15 day Mandarin. Language Learning Challenge is the challenge that go AI <laughs> is putting on at the moment. Solid plug. Um, premise of the challenge is you pitch your idea in English to start with. I pitch my podcast, um, the purpose of the podcast, what I'm seeking to do. And then over the course of 15 days, you use the software um, in a sort of blended learning approach. So you have live, li- live video lessons with teachers via the app, the software then analyzes the conversations that you have and then gives you review material based on that lesson. And then this is for 15 days. So it breaks the teacher, Fanny, fantastic teacher. <laughs> if ever you're using it, use Fanny. <laughs> She's absolutely brilliant. Um, translated my speech into Chinese, um, took me through it in the first lesson. Then we've just been kind of working on the grammar points and learning the, the finer points of that speech over the course of these 12 days, I think. I've got two days left. I'm going to be pitching on the
0: 10th. Yeah, so you still have some By the few end, I've days. still got
1: a few days left. So Can got you
0: pitch if I had to ask you? I, you know, I think I could
1: probably get like three-quarters of the way through and then the last <laughs> couple of <laughs> sentences. <it'd be> like
0: <laughs> okay, up. so we'll wait a few days. Yeah. We're nearly there. the deadline. We're nearly, there. We're nearly there. We're mm-hmm. there. We'll wait for the deadline. <laughs> I'm not far off. <laughs> so going back to uh, to why, uh, lately I'm struggling to, I'm not struggling, but uh, crystal clear, we're mm-hmm. articulating my why. Mm-hmm. And it's difficult. It's mm-hmm. difficult to do what's your why. So I want to ask, what's your why?
1: That's a fantastic question because I'm doing exactly the same thing as you at the moment. <laughs> like, I think so much focus is put on making sure that you have a purpose for what you're doing. And I agree. It is important to do what you do with purpose. But I don't think having a clearly defined purpose should be a barrier to doing something. Now that kind of that could lead to kind of paralysis It's like well this is a fantastic opportunity but I don't know if this is what I want to be doing I don't know if this is my purpose so I'm gonna pass up on that opportunity Um, funnily enough I just read a book called um, so good they can't ignore you by Cal Newport
0: I've heard brilliant
1: brilliant Um, (coughs) basically it's a manifesto for why follow your passion is the worst possible career advice you could ever give someone
0: Mm -hmm. Um, Why is that
1: well passion is kind of fleeting how do you develop passion for something do you like for example let's say you ask a college graduate what are they passionate about
0: right
1: it's gonna be like basketball or sport or music or something like that cool are you gonna be able to make a career out of any of those things maybe if you're like an amazing sportsman or you're an incredible musician or something like that but realistically it's probably not gonna happen passion is something that he says develops as you get good at something. So the more you do something the better you get at it the more passionately you
0: get at it
1: get about it.
0: So, wh- so what's the alternative if it's not passion and purpose? I what's think I
1: think purpose and passion become clear over time. I think the issue right. is people try and identify their passion and their purpose before they have the career capital and before they have an idea enough of an idea about what makes them tick.
0: Right.
1: So you try and define something before you have anything with which you can define it. Does that make sense?
0: Is that (laughs) a mental (laughs) twist?
1: So let's say you want to become an entrepreneur because you're passionate about entrepreneurship, but you have absolutely zero entrepreneurship experience. You've never been exposed to a business environment. How do you know that you're going to be passionate about it? What if you enter this industry and you find that you're not passionate about it, you absolutely hate it, Mm -hmm. then what do you do? Work You feel yourself trapped. Exactly, you feel trapped. You you kind of made this, you have this idea of yourself again, this preconceived idea of yourself. It's like this is what I am, but then you put yourself in a situation where you're exposed to yourself Mm -hmm. that what you thought you were isn't actually who you are. Like Mm. finding passion over time I think is something that's Mm. more effective and definitely more sustainable in the long run because the more you do something, the more passionate about it you get.
0: So it's more about testing things Mm -hmm. and- Doing uh,
1: whatever you're doing to the best of your abilities. Right. So I think if if you're presented with an opportunity, um, any opportunity, and you like the look of the opportunity, yeah, do it. If it doesn't fit with where you think you want to go, then don't worry about where you think you want to go because doing this opportunity may change that direction. Um, For example motivate for me Personal development is something that I was interested in but it's like personal development. Sometimes it can be like a bit woo There's some interesting characters in the personal development sphere where you've got things that may or may not be effective Or maybe just lining someone's pockets.
0: How do you cut through that noise?
1: (sighs) Evaluate evaluate things don't buy the sales patter Mm-hmm. Like if someone is selling you something that's good, too good to be true, probably is. think <laughs> like, look at something on its own merits. Don't get suckered in. I think that's something that that's something that applies kind of everywhere. Don't get suckered in. If you feel yourself getting drawn into something, ask yourself why that's happening. Now you may be being drawn in because it is indeed a fantastic opportunity, but being able to objectively measure. Or objectively, just observe whether that is actually the case, as opposed to kind of getting sucked into something and then realizing when you're in too deep that you've made a mistake. Right.
0: Yeah, zoom out exactly. objectively, exactly. unbiased exactly. Uh, analysis exactly. that you exactly. have to do. Some hardly, sometimes it's very hard to do For that. Sure.
1: For sure. It's not an easy thing to do. it's, it's a skill. You have to develop it, it's a skill that you have to develop. Um, and again, this comes back to meditation.
0: Right. Being
1: being mindful of your emotions, if you feel yourself kind of getting sucked into something, like, so wow, I feel amazing about this thing. It's like, okay, good, that's obviously very positive.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Let's take that away from what it actually is. Analyze it. And then if those emotions were the correct emotions to be having, then yeah, fantastic, go for it. But if that was something that somebody made you feel because what's actually there isn't really worth your doing, mm-hmm. And you can discard it. Awesome. Cut through the noise.
0: Uh, I'd like to ask another question, mm-hmm. which is if you had to compete with yourself, mm-hmm. uh, what would you do? How do you mean by compete with this? yourself on different levels? So, working level, yourself with another band, mm-hmm. basically, and all the layers imaginable.
1: Mm-hmm. <sighs> Jiu jitsu is number one. I would love to fight myself because I know that there are so many things that I do that are wrong. Like for example, my coaches are always telling me to relax or use less power. I would like to fight myself in that regard because it would be a huge learning experience because sometimes it's really difficult to figure out. So like people can give you advice,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: but sometimes it's very difficult to identify which bit of you they're specifically giving advice to. So pitting yourself against yourself with that advice in mind, for example, use less power, relax. And then you be able to kind of experience what it is that you're doing wrong firsthand. And I think that works, and not just in jujitsu. That works in all environments. Like if someone is giving you advice, sometimes it's very difficult to take that advice because you can't see what they're trying to help you with.
0: Yeah. Sometimes so you have to do the mistake, exactly, even though you got exactly, that advice. Exactly. So exactly. Don't, don't do so it. it. Don't do
1: this because this is going to happen. You have to do it, so then you can see what was going to happen. It's like, oh, well, that's why you were trying to help me. You can see this going
0: coming. Right. Out. And I, I, to be honest, I see this in uh, startups. It's mm-hmm. a bit hot if you want to take off the jacket.
1: That's right. I've sweat through this T-shirt. <laughs> too late we're committed <laughs> right so
0: uh, yeah uh, as you're saying I see mm-hmm. a lot of good advices yep. given to startups and there's a lot of content that you can mm-hmm. learn but still it's so difficult to grasp that learning that other people had mm-hmm. and ingrain in yourself yeah. and try to apply it's so difficult oh for sure and, and you have to mm-hmm. still do that mistake yeah. and then like damn it I knew it but I still mm-hmm. had to do that yeah. mistake to learn mm-hmm. and not do it again Yeah.
1: so I think it's This kind of spins back to an experience that I had with mental health. For example, um, I struggled and then I put myself in a position where I was able to do things which meant that I got better or better. I was more able to effectively manage it. My brother then had um, an episode where he was really struggling himself. And you have all of this experience about something. so for me, it was dealing with my depression, dealing with anxiety, and then you can see someone going through exactly the same thing as you in a very very similar way similar experience but the issue is all of your tools that you've used to develop you've developed through your experience are let's say they're a flathead screwdriver so mm-hmm. just just flathead mm-hmm. they will work in the same way they will work for this other individual but this other individual their tool set is a phillips so a Phillips is like a cross head right. screwdriver. Right. So they do the same thing, they just don't fit. So you can, ha- you can give someone all of the best advice in the world and that advice may be absolutely fantastic for you. And you know that it would work if you were in their situation. But you're not in their situation, they're in their situation. And sometimes it really does have to be a case of this individual has to learn how to do it themselves, Instead of me telling them how to do it, I can tell them how I did it. Now, sometimes it's very difficult to listen to someone who's saying, oh, well, this is how I did it because it can be seen as, again, a challenge to the ego as well, this person did it this way and it didn't work for them. I'm fine, I'm gonna make it work.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Giving you, giving them the benefit of your experience, so for me, with my brother in depression, um, well, you and your experience with startups and people giving advice and either taking it or not taking it and succeeding or failing as a result, being able to give advice in a way whereby I'm offering this to you. If you take it or not, that's fine. I'm still willing to help if you take it. I'm still willing to help if you don't take it. This may be helpful to you, but if you don't use it, that's fine. That's fine. And yeah. then if it doesn't work because you haven't used it, I'm not going to judge you for it. And like, I know I tried to help you, and I'm not going to go, well, I told you so. Of course it didn't work. I said this was going to happen. It's like, it doesn't matter. It's a learning experience. You may have failed. You may have succeeded, or something may have gone wrong, or something may have gone right cool that's fantastic for you i'm still here to help
0: what's the talking about the advices that you mentioned Mm. what is the worst advice that you see other people giving in your area of expertise
1: so um i'm working in education at the moment education a lot of the time it's just students are treated every student is treated in the same way right so i mean that's Sometimes that's a very easy thing to do because if you've got huge classes, then it's exhausting, <laughs> kind of treating everyone differently. But kind of doing that is terrible because everyone's different. And so.
0: Yeah, I, I, I try to say that everyone has. I, 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 as you know, I also work mm-hmm. in education. Mm-hmm. And what we, the insight that we got, that everyone has its own learning needs. Yeah. Which differ from individual to individual. Exactly. We build a system with a system that try to uh, fit each need of mm-hmm. each individual. Oh. And yeah, sorry for interrupting this. Oh oh this yeah. is, it, is, is exactly is that, I exactly I that
1: It's like it's taking the kind of one size fits all approach, which is quite easy to apply from a teaching standpoint. And then broadening it so it's it's more labor intensive from from the perspective of the teacher because you actually have to spend some time getting to know your students it's you become a little bit more invested in them Mm -hmm. Um, you have skin in the game as it were in terms of their development because if they're not developing then that's no longer a problem with them if you feel a relationship with them it's a problem with you and your Mm -hmm. teaching so that's like treating everyone the same that's terrible advice Mm -hmm. treating everyone as an individual That's a lot more effective. With mental health, just pull yourself together. God, I hate that expression. (laughs) Sometimes it helps, like pull yourself together. Sometimes it can be a case of like you're worrying about things that you don't need to worry about and then that's not necessarily depression. But if someone is genuinely depressed, if someone has something that is biochemically wrong with them, like their brain is not working the way that, or their brain is not working as it would be in a normal way. Just telling someone to pull themselves together and it's like, cool, like, how is that going to be beneficial? How is that going to help someone at all? Like if you had a broken arm, someone wouldn't say, pull yourself together. It's always broken. Like how do I how do I pull myself together with this? Please, I'm I'm all ears, like if I can, then fantastic. Same with a leg. Why is why is your brain treated differently? Surely that should receive more attention. Like if something is up with your brain, then sh- it just doesn't make any sense to me. Sorry.
0: Right. Okay. Uh, ben it was an interesting conversation. Um, looking forward in three days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for the pitch. Yeah. See you pitching in. Uh, yes, indeed. Mandarin.
1: Yep. It's gonna be. It's gonna be good.
0: And where can people find you? And podcast or social, social media, if you can um, plug. Pod- so,
1: my podcast is called Rolling Forward. It's on Apple Podcasts, it's on Spotify, it's on Castbox, it's on whatever podcast app you choose to listen to. Um, my Instagram is B. I'm not particularly active on there, but I will be posting updates in regard to the podcast on there as well. I have a blog on at where's the hot source.com. That's going to be migrated towards the Rolling Forward homepage as well Um, and I'm also now